The first reading this morning is from Acts 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism, that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. And the second reading is from Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the good news of the Lord. You may be seated as we sing.
Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace are yours from our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we're going to be talking about what it means to be fulfilled in Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, I don't know if you were raised in the church, I was. And so Easter is always a really satisfying day for me. I know that when I was little, um, I, my parents, we, we went to church, went through all the Lenten services and all that stuff, and, and the Lenten season always seemed so long. Right, the season leading up to Easter, it was always a time when we sang hymns which were like unsingable, that always seemed to be like the most difficult words and tunes you could possibly imagine. And it always seemed like throughout that time, 40 days, everyone just kind of seemed down. It was when, when winter just kind of kept wearing on. And of course, as kids, we had given up stuff, and so it was a challenge between me and my siblings. 40 days is a long time to not eat sweets. And so then you got to Easter, and Easter was different. In Easter, the the worship service sounded different. In fact, I've told you this before, those of you who've heard me, I grew up in a really small church. Our whole church would have fit like right here. I'm not exaggerating. And my sister Cheryl was the organist or pianist. And Easter was always the best hymns, the biggest ones. She played the best, and she'd been practicing for the longest time. And usually, if it went well, my brother played the trumpet along with her. And Mark had given up the trumpet earlier on, but we always call it an Easter miracle because somehow the song came out the way it was supposed to. <laughs> and my dad cooked Easter breakfast. And so it was his responsibility to make all the pancakes and the sausage for everybody. And there had been lots of preparation leading up to it. And the morning was the morning of, right? The morning of the big meal. And the rest of it was just celebration. I usually got to acolyte which I now know was the reason I was allowed to acolyte or asked to acolyte by my pastor because it's the only way that I would pay attention during church. But Easter was that day. It was the day when the music sounded big. It was the music when people smiled again. It was the music when people dressed up. All the flowers were there. Mark had the miracle on the trumpet. It was worth being there. It was satisfying, even as a kid. Well, it still is. Because the message of Easter hasn't changed. It's just that now I know it a little bit better. Now I know that it's more than the pancakes and the trumpet and the flowers. Now I know that it's more than the end of a dreary season. It's what Jesus has done. And the story itself is a story which is satisfying. A story which is fulfilling. And even if we just glance over the details, they're the reasons why we have come this day, the reason why we rejoice and celebrate. As we look through the details in Matthew, we see these just wonderful snippets, these wonderful little things that remind us that this is a special day. The two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How, how'd you like it if that was how you're remembered for time and eternity? It's difficult because just about all the women, it seems, that follow Jesus, in fact, four of them are named Mary. And so it's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And they go early to the tomb. They go while it's still dark. They go for a very specific purpose, and we know it. They go to anoint the body in death. But what they find there is quite different. What they find there is not death and gloom, what they find there is not a sealed tomb. In fact, what they find there is something far greater, far more fulfilling, far more remarkable to them. The angel of the Lord has descended from heaven, rolled back the stone, and there's a great earthquake. 
And I'll tell you this, Pastor Jason and I, in fact, we're talking about this this week. The exact order of those things isn't known. Like, like, why is there a great earthquake? Does the earthquake correspond with the angel of the Lord descending to heaven? Like, did he hit the ground and there was an earthquake? Or did he use an earthquake to roll the stone back? We don't know. All we know is that the stone is rolled back. The tomb is empty, and the angel of the Lord has descended, and by the way, is now seated on the rock. Did you notice that? I I love that. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. One of our other pastors, Pastor Victor, said, I I think that's like the most baller move ever. Rolls back the stone and then just sits on it. Like, what? They've come because they expect death. And the deeper we dig into the story, and the less we rely just on the snippets and pieces and Twitter version, the more we begin to realize just how remarkable and just how fulfilling Easter is. The angel that's seated on the stone speaks to the Marys when they come to the tomb. Their original anticipation, their original concern was how are they going to roll the stone back, but now it's back, and so they have a bigger concern because there's an angel seated on it, and they have this, this mix of fear and surprise going on inside of them when the angel speaks. And the first sentence that the angel speaks to them is this, you seek Jesus who was crucified. And in that single sentence is most of what we know about what the Marys anticipated. And most of what we need to know about the way that the disciples were experiencing that morning. You seek Jesus who was crucified. You see, they had anticipated that Jesus was more. They had anticipated that Jesus wasn't just a great teacher and one that they had followed. They were anticipating that Jesus had done remarkable things and therefore more remarkable things were to come. And everything that they anticipated in Jesus came to a screeching halt with a sham of a trial on Thursday and a crucifixion to death on Friday. Everything that they thought that Jesus was had suddenly ceased. And so on Easter Sunday, they come to the tomb seeking Jesus who was crucified, seeking to restore to him the dignity in death that had been taken from him in life. They came seeking Jesus, the crucified. And we have no idea if there was still an inkling of hope in them or not, but they came that morning to anoint the body of Jesus, expecting only to find death. And yet, maybe, maybe having an inkling of hope that all the things that he had spoken would somehow change this morning as well, that he would be the fulfiller of all things. After all, that's what he had been up to that point. Remember that throughout Jesus' life and ministry, the prophecies of old, of generations before, had been pointed out to them by Jesus and others, that Jesus was doing these things in their midst, that he was fulfilling prophecies. Remember, we started with this at Christmas. Remember at Christmas when we celebrated how the words of Isaiah the prophet had come true. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We celebrated the words of Isaiah 
the words of the prophet that were fulfilled in Jesus, that this one would be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, that the government would be on his shoulders. Remember, we sang it and our choirs sang it. We celebrated the fulfillment of the prophecy. And it wasn't just at Christmas, but we've been doing it for the last few months as we've been walking through the life of Jesus. And each step of the way, we saw Jesus fulfilling prophecies. You remember when some of the disciples from John the Baptist, who was now in prison, were sent to Jesus to ask, are you the one? Are you the fulfiller of the prophecies? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? And do you remember what Jesus says? He quotes again the prophet Isaiah. And he says, go and tell John what you see. The blind receive sight, the deaf hear, the lame leap and walk. And he added this little part. And the dead are raised. Remember, we celebrated that two weeks ago and we're reminded of it last week that Jesus, in fact, had raised Lazarus from the dead. And last week in the triumphal entry, we were reminded that the crowd gathered because they knew of the sign that Jesus performed. They knew that he had raised Lazarus from the dead and so they went out to see him and to greet him as their king. And they were fulfilling prophecies. Jesus had fulfilled so many prophecies in his life. And as he did, with each one of them, the anticipation of his followers grew. They expected him to be more. They expected that this would be something wonderful, and they had a front row seat. He was the fulfiller. And yet when the tomb door closed, so did their hopes. When they were with Jesus, life seemed so good. When they walked with Jesus and learned from him, their lives had purpose and meaning. They had been chosen by this great teacher. And when he healed and touched and spoke people, when he did things that no one had ever done, when he did them in a way that no one had ever experienced, they had a front row seat. They saw his signs and wonders and they were chosen by him. They experienced Jesus and trusted the word that he spoke. They trusted when he did these things that the word he spoke was true, that the kingdom had come, that God was now dwelling with his people. This is what they believed. They thought Jesus was more. And then it came to a screeching halt. There was an arrest, a trial, a verdict, a death. And all that they hoped for ended. You came seeking Jesus the crucified one. But the voice of the angel doesn't stop there. The voice of the angel says that they weren't wrong to think that Jesus was special. The voice of the angel said they weren't wrong to think that Jesus was the fulfiller of all things. It's just that there were more things than they anticipated. There were more that they didn't know and that God yet had to teach them. 
And so I wonder if we were to have asked the Marys what they thought when they saw the angel. I I wonder if they wouldn't say that they sought more than Christ the crucified in that moment. And that if the words of the angel didn't fulfill any hope that they had and didn't restore to them a trust which had been shattered. Because the angel doesn't stop by saying, you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel continues, he is not here. He has risen as he said. Jesus is alive. And those words spoken to the women teach them that they hadn't been wrong, that Jesus was the fulfiller of all things. It teaches them that their fears weren't warranted. Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, everything that had been taken away from them on Thursday and Friday is restored on Sunday. Jesus is alive. And what does that mean for them? Well, just ask the Marys. See it in what they do next. See it as they turn with fear and great joy, the joy greater than the fear that causes them to run to the brothers as they've been told, to share the news that Jesus is alive, to share the news that this morning changes everything. That's exactly what the Marys know. And that's exactly what the Marys share with us. They teach us what it means to see life fulfilled in Jesus. And I think about the reasons why we have come this day. And I think about all the things that are going on in our lives. And I bet for some of you, life is a lot like life was for the disciples pre-Thursday. I'm guessing that for a lot of you, life in Jesus is pretty good. I'm guessing for a lot of you, there are even mountaintop moments that you celebrate when God feels so close. When you read God's word and it opens to you, it speaks to your very soul. It speaks to where you live and move and have your being. And as that word speaks into your heart, it enlivens it. And you say, God is amazing. You find yourself, you find yourself celebrating, being happy to come, saying, I love I love this church. You find yourself being fulfilled. Life in Christ is fulfilling. But then there are things that happen. There are things that shatter that mountaintop. There are Thursdays and Fridays. The word suddenly doesn't seem to resonate as much. And there's less willingness to read it. Maybe it's, maybe it's the result of a job change, a diagnosis, a broken relationship. You haven't stepped away from Jesus, but you say, I've, I feel like life in Christ is supposed to be more than this. I, I thought life in Christ was supposed to be fulfilling, but I feel like I'm in a valley. Or maybe nothing happened. You see, there's a truth that we Christians don't admit enough. And the truth is this. Sometimes there isn't a precipitating event. Sometimes it isn't that something happens. Sometimes we just run stale. Sometimes we're not on mountaintops. We're on the plains in between. Sometimes we open the word and God seems remarkably silent. And the word doesn't speak to where we are. And it's filled with words that we don't use on a daily basis. And it just seems distant. 
We find ourselves saying, I thought life in Jesus and life with Jesus was supposed to be more fulfilling. There's a temptation to walk away. And we know the reality that life apart from Jesus isn't fulfilling either. That life apart from Jesus means a constant quest for what this world means, a constant quest for for what we're doing and what our purpose is, a constant quest and realization that the things of the world don't always satisfy and the things of the world run out. And so where is fulfillment to be found? Where is fulfillment to be found? What does it mean for us to say that life in Jesus is different? To say that life in Jesus is satisfying, that life in Jesus is fulfilling. Well, it means we turn back with all of our needs to what Jesus has done. We turn back with all of our needs to what Jesus is fulfilling. That we admit that we've come with a longing and a yearning. That we've come to seek Jesus. And some of us say, I've come to seek Jesus who was crucified. the angel's words still speak to us. The angel's words that day, spoken from the top of the stone, still resonate in the hearts of each one of us. He is not here. He has risen as he said. He has risen from the dead and is alive. And if we trust those words and we hear those words, they speak fulfillment into our lives that all that Jesus said is true. But the words that the angel speaks aren't done yet. The angel then says, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. To us, those words might not mean much, and yet they should mean everything. Because what the angel tells them that day is that even the resurrection morning isn't the end of the story with Jesus. That Jesus isn't just alive but that he is alive and active. That Jesus isn't just alive and active, but that he is exactly where he has promised he would be. And that he says to each one of us, whether we are on a mountaintop or on the plain in between, whether we are in the valley of the shadow of death, no matter where we find ourselves, Jesus is where he promised to be fulfilling the words that he spoke to his followers, fulfilling the words that he spoke to each one of us, and letting each one of you know that when you are in Jesus, you are loved, you are chosen, you are supported, you are forgiven. The words, he has gone ahead of you into Galilee, mean that you should anticipate finding Jesus in the place where he promised to be. And one of the places where he promised to be, brothers and sisters, is when we are gathered together in this place, not dwelling in the building, but dwelling among his followers, dwelling among his faithful, where we are gathered in his name, that we are here present to be an encouragement to one another, that we are here present so that we can speak words like the angel speaks to the women so that we can remind one another that Jesus is not dead, but alive, and not just alive, but active, and not just active, but where he promises to be, and that there we will see him. 
You don't have to take my word for it. You can ask the Marys, those first witnesses to the resurrection, those first ones who came in the midst of doubt and questions, those first ones who came in the midst of darkness to find the light of Christ, to hear the words of the angel. You seek Christ who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. He has gone ahead of you into Galilee. Now I have told you. And there's one last thing you need to hear about this account. One last thing that you need to be reminded this day. Galilee for these people was home. The angel was inviting them to go home. And the promise was this, Jesus will be there. Brothers and sisters, what an amazing invitation for us. An amazing invitation to come to the tomb and see. An amazing invitation to know that Jesus is not dead but alive, and not alive but active, and not just active, but where he promises to be, and where he promises to be, and where you will see him, is home. Brothers and sisters, that is satisfying. That is our needs fulfilled in Jesus Christ, to whom be glory this day and always in the church. Amen.